Hi, this is Cynthia Davis. We're not here to just discuss problems. We share solutions. We're about to give you some brave, strong, and bold answers for how to get our country back on the right path. So today I have some new insights on immigration, tariffs, and political parties. I'm an American! Front. I'm Cynthia Davis, your host, and I'm here to help. From parenting to public policies to political advice, join me in taking America back one family at a time. As a speaker, writer, former legislator, mother of seven, and wife of one for over 30 years, I bring you my experience. Don't lose your freedom. And now it's time for Homefront. Don't lose your freedom. Let's talk about this. Welcome to Homefront. Today we have Daryl Castle. He is one of the best lawyers in the entire country. He ran for president of the United States on the Constitution Party ticket, and he is also the man behind the Castle Report, which is a fountain of knowledge of the inner workings of government. He comes to enlighten us today about some of the latest events going on. Welcome, Daryl. Well, thank you, Cynthia. It's always a pleasure to be with you. You just did a show that was your wrap-up of last year. And I want you to tell me what was the most outrageous or remarkable or unbelievable event that happened in 2018. Boy, that's a good question. Um, there were so many, <laughs> but we're starting to to there's, to believe them now. There's so many, but you know, I, I suppose the war in the Far East. I think the Saudi war in Yemen. And President Trump's announcement that he wanted to withdraw in, uh, from Syria and to wind down in Afghanistan, and then the, the reaction to that from people on both sides of the political persuasion uh, just continues to to confirm what uh, I've always suspected. But uh, I suppose that would be the thing, and that uh, some other things regarding uh, Ill- illegal immigration. I mean, every time I go to California, I wonder what's going on out there, what's happening to those people. When you look at uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles and uh, the huge cities of homeless people camped right on the streets in downtown Los Angeles, tent cities right on the center of the city, and you have to be careful walking when it's dark because you might trip over somebody laying on the sidewalk right in downtown and so you wonder what what are these people thinking but anyway that's california i suppose that was another uh shocking thing uh my daughter lives in los angeles now so i'm out there quite a bit and uh it's amazing if you haven't seen it in a while it really is 
Well, I went to San Francisco twice in October and November this year, and I saw plenty to make me glad I live in Missouri. (laughs) So we're right smack dab in the middle of a national government partial shutdown. And this is a, I call it, make sure whenever you hear people call it a shutdown, I correct them. It's a partial shutdown. It's obviously if the whole government shut down, we would feel it in a deeper way than this. Um, These are some of the non-essential services. Of course, I wish the shutdown would last for years, but realistically, it's likely that some agreement will happen. I know I sound pessimistic by talking this way, but when the shutdown began, the Republicans had control of the House, the Senate, and the executive branch of government. The shutdown was proof that it's possible for one party to rule and still get nothing done. So now that the Democrats have control of the House, they've dug in their heels and they've made things more adversarial. And somebody posted this comment that Trump has failed to lead his own party into unity. How do they think with the Democrats there, they're going to keep people from peeling away worse? Is this the hill we want to die on? Give us your perspective on this shutdown. Well, I mean, I, I kind of share your opinion. Uh, I haven't noticed it very much, although uh, the uh, U.S. attorney in uh, in Memphis sent out a notice that uh, any cases he was involved in were would be, um, I guess you could say, in abeyance, uh, continued until the shutdown is over with. But other than that, it hasn't uh, affected me. I mean, I, it's great theater to watch. If there wasn't so much at stake and it wasn't all so tragic, it would be it would be hilarious to watch them try <laughs> to argue about it. But you know, no one's feeling it or anything here. Uh, I suppose there may be some furloughed uh, federal employees in Memphis. I'm not sure, but if they are, if there are, they're just getting a uh, a vacation that they'll eventually be paid for. But um, you know, it just shows the silliness of all of it. Uh, and it's kind of sad in addition to being funny, really. So in the election season in November of 2018, a common question candidates were evaluated by is just one question. Are you supportive of Donald Trump or do you hate Donald Trump? I have never seen a campaign where it was all based on one question. People were proud, like that's their major qualification that I support Donald Trump or that's their major qualification is I hate him. What is the craziest thing you, excuse me. What is the craziest thing you've seen happen in this last election cycle? And what can we learn about the American people from it? Well, that's uh, that's that concept that you just mentioned about do you hate him or do you love him? No one is kind of neutral on him, I guess. But um, here in Tennessee, uh, Bob Corker, a senator, uh, I'm sure you know, uh, Mr. Corker is retiring. He's a... Republican, and he, I saw a news conference with him. In fact, I, I mentioned it in my podcast, but I saw a news conference where he was talking about um, uh, leaving the Senate, and 
why he had so much trouble with uh, with President Trump. And he said, you know, and uh, they asked him why he was retiring, and he said, well, no one cares about the issues. Uh, all they care about is, do, are you with Trump or are you not with Trump? And he said, in Tennessee, if you're not with Trump, you're out of office. So he chose to leave. His replacement, uh, uh, Marsha Blackburn, a woman that I know uh, fairly well. I mean, I say I know her. I've met her a few times. Uh, she was just an ordinary person here in Tennessee a few years ago and uh, when we had a move to institute a state income tax, uh, she stepped out and became a leader in the anti-tax movement and she she uh, translated that into a seat in the U.S. Congress and then now she's in the U.S. Senate. She campaigned almost exclusively by saying, I'm with Trump, I'm with Trump. Uh, that was her campaign. Uh, whatever the other people said against her, uh, a, a very well-known Democrat politician who used to be uh, uh, mayor of Nashville and governor ran against her and uh, as a Democrat. And uh, he, uh, he he even was embarrassed about it. He would occasionally say, look, I, I'm with Trump if he's right. He wasn't afraid to say that, you know, here in Tennessee. But her, her campaign was, I'm with the president. I stand with the president. And she... She won the election easily by something like 14 percentage points. <laughs> That's because she has a good haircut and really nicely tailored suits. That I'm sure that had something to do with it. Well, she she is a uh, she's a pretty sweet lady. I can tell you that. Although she wouldn't go to Cuba with me when I ask her to. But anyway, <laughs> uh, she's with the president. I, my guess is is that in the Senate uh, she will be one of those people who uh, who you don't hear much about, who uh, kind of sits there and votes the way the leadership tells her to vote. Uh, yep, just, you know, you're right. There, there's something to be said about the way you go up the ladder is you have to do what leadership tells you to do. Yep. But if I were elected to the Senate, I could probably encourage her to join me in a filibuster against something. Yeah, that's why you'll never be elected to the Senate, most likely. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm the same way. Um, you know, the leadership would probably uh, despise me so much I'd be a one-term senator, but one term would be enough. That'd be enough to do something positive. So the headlines yeah. today say that the soybean sales are down 94% because of the Trump tariffs. Are tariffs good or bad? I thought years well, ago they said tariffs were the right way to tax people instead of an income tax. But now Trump is trying to do tariffs, and it seems like it's caused a negative effect on our economy. What's your take? Well, uh, the answer to your question, are they good or bad, would be yes. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, the the Constitution Party was founded on the principle of tariffs, but uh <clears throat> In most cases, uh, my, my own personal view is that they're bad and that they cause economic issues. I, I know uh, what he's trying to do, some of the overreaching trade uh, imbalances with China and, and other countries he's trying to correct, and he's trying to bring uh, some of the manufacturing that's left our country to go to these low-wage places. 
to come back, but um, the, the not just the tariffs itself, but the threat of the tariff, the, the what you might call the trade wars with China in particular, has uh, drastically um, uh, affected the economy and the stock market. Uh, I think if if uh, if you if he suddenly reached a um, an agreement with China and worked out a deal, you'd see an economic uh, surge in the market. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I sympathize with what he's trying to do. But I, uh, if you wanted to ask me, is it good or bad? Uh, I wish there were some other weapon that could be used. So I, I would come down on the bad side. Well. Let me ask you about a real story from here in Missouri. I used to be on the governing board of the city of O'Fallon. And during that time, there were some environmental wackos who felt like we should force the citizens to recycle. So they required every citizen to get a recycling container and they were told you're going to pay for it whether you use it or not we're going to make you pay for recycling so that did affect behavior and more people started recycling as a result and it was working well while we were selling our recyclables to China but they just made an announcement a few months ago that they're not going to accept cardboard anymore and uh, the entire recycling program is with teetering on oblivion and part of it is they said china is no longer buying our junk we used to bundle up all our junk and ship it to china and they would take our recyclable stuff and pay us for it they're not buying our recyclables anymore what do you have you heard anything about that Yes, I have. Uh, when my daughter was uh, working at uh, Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, uh, they actually in Ithaca they actually inspected your uh, your garbage to make sure you weren't throwing away anything that was required to be recycled. They would send somebody by once a week to make a periodic check of your trash, uh, and you get a fine if you if they found a plastic bottle in your trash can or something, but. How much anyway, would you have uh, to? How much would you have to pay somebody to do that job? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I, I used to tell my daughter that they just took all that stuff and threw it in the in the in the landfill somewhere and just told people they were doing that so they could have government jobs. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have heard that, and and it's it's a battle in in the trade war. Yeah, they they know our vulnerabilities and so forth, and. And yet, uh, sometimes in war, you take casualties, uh, and that's one of them. Uh, I hope it can be settled and worked out for the benefit of both sides. I mean, we really should be friends with China. That's my view, uh, and I can back that up over over decades, if not centuries, of, uh, of fair dealing and working together and so forth. Uh, but it's, you know, uh, it's different now. I mean, I, uh, it's been overreaching in the trade deficit. Uh, you know, uh, the deficit is a funny thing too. I, I have a deficit with, uh, uh, with Walmart. Uh, I have a deficit with, uh, Walgreens, you know, I buy more from them than they buy from me. Uh, 
and that's kind of the way it is. I mean, I wish they would come in and use my legal services and so we could come out even. I, I guess I could say, well, I'm not going to shop there anymore unless you come in and hire me to do some legal work for you. Uh, it's kind of, that does seem silly, but it's, that's kind of the way it is. Um, now both, uh, both sides were benefiting, but, uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, uh, it's, they don't call it a trade war for nothing. So we'll see who wins. There you go. So the headlines are filled with the talk about the Democrat agenda, how the house of representatives is filing bills to, destroy and dismantle everything that would make America strong. If you didn't know better, you would guess that their goal is to trash this country as fast as possible. So how can anyone run and win on a platform of raising taxes, getting rid of our Second Amendment protections, giving more money to foreign countries, forcing taxpayers to pay for the killing of the unborn, weakening our security, unless it's increasing the power of the TSA to search and fondle people at our airports for simply trying to get on an airplane. We have so much hypocrisy going on in this country. How is it possible that the Democrats can think this is a good thing? Well, you you said if you didn't know better, but I don't know better. I mean, I think that's exactly what they're trying to do. And uh, it, it seems, uh, I mean, it's fairly simple. They're trying to put together a, ma- a majority, which they're very close to doing, if not successful in doing, uh, of people that, uh, that don't pay any of that money that they're giving away. Uh, only about 50% of the people have a net loss in, uh, in tax now. Uh, 52% approximately receive some benefit from the federal government every month. Uh, so yes, I mean, they're very close, if not there to having a majority of people who simply say, uh, we're going to loot and we're going to use other people's money to do it. And we don't have any moral compunctions against doing that sort of thing. So uh, it explains, uh, why the Democrats are so, uh, into illegal immigration or any other form of immigration bring them in, each one of them is a future Democrat voter, and, and the idea is to gain a, uh, a permanent majority that can't be defeated. So that's the direction that we seem to be heading. You're right. Starting with step one is an attack on the Electoral College, and now this border thing is really perplexing me. And I, the only reasonable solution is to understand that they're trying to get future voters. The problem is, if they are successful at destroying the way we do elections, we will never get the country back again to correct it. We will never get good people elected anymore who can be principled. Congress should pass a simple law that makes all people ineligible to receive welfare or any other entitlement benefits until they become U.S. citizens. If we could make it that simple, that would prevent a lot of this migration. What do you think of all these Hondurans? And they, they were offered asylum in Mexico, and they said, no, thank you. I don't know if they said thank you. They just said no. <laughs> if they truly were 
asylum seekers who were so badly persecuted, why wouldn't they take asylum from Mexico? Well, Mexico doesn't have uh, uh, proper welfare benefits for them, number one. And number two, uh, Mexico is not where George Soros paid them to go. Um, he paid them to come here. But your your solution to the problem is absolutely the correct one. It's the first start. If you want to have a country, if 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 we had enough legislature to actually care about this country, it's such a simple, obvious thing for people to say, you're not, you're not entitled to the benefits of American tax dollars unless you're a citizen, period. Uh, I don't know that that would solve our immigration problem, but it would certainly help the solution. It would uh if if you had to be a citizen to to gain uh, uh welfare benefits um i guarantee you it would help uh, self deport a lot of people and keep a lot of people from coming but you always when you make that argument uh, people will always say well what about uh, what about medical care would you deny these people medical care i mean dying of uh, trauma from an auto accident or something's a little bit different but um, is welfare is going into an emergency room and getting free emergency care? Uh, is that a welfare benefit that you would deny people who are non-citizens? Uh, all those questions have to be answered. But yes, I, I agree with you that certainly uh, sending out checks every month should not be done unless you're a citizen. Why couldn't you life flight them down to Mexico and let the Mexicans take care of their medical expenses? Well, it would be kind of expensive to do that. I I had a case recently where a life flight that was about ten miles cost six thousand dollars. Yeah, six thousand um, is nothing compared to the ongoing care if it's a serious medical emergency. We're spending gobs of money on trying to take care of people who aren't even here legally. And I'm not saying that we need to be uncompassionate, but I'm redefining compassion. I don't know how you're helping them when you encourage more of them to come. And and they need to make their own country great again. They need to not leave. They need to be brave. They need to be strong. They need to be bold. And they need to say, I live in Costa Rica or Honduras or Guatemala or Chile or Argentina. I want to make my country a place I can live and have a family and have happiness where they speak my language and where I know the topography. I, I, why, why can't they make their own countries habitable? You're, you're you're forgetting one thing, Cynthia. You're assuming that uh, that the people who make these decisions on behalf of the United States actually want them to stay. They don't. They want them to come here. Uh, the, all of our laws and so forth are designed to encourage immigration, legal and otherwise, because they want it. Uh, they uh, they want to build a majority. They want to change our society. The destructive elements that you and I might see in our society from continued third world immigration, they see as a good thing. And so they're trying to encourage it uh, with open border policy, with sanctuary cities, sanctuary states like you have in California where, yes, whosoever will may come, come on in and uh, we will uh, we will all fund it for you. Um, even though we're totally beyond dead broke, you know, if we got $22 trillion, we'd be dead broke uh, here in America. So, 
that is the the weird uh, Orwellian nightmare that we live in as far as uh, immigration goes. You and I see it as something that should be discouraged, but our politicians see it as something they want to encourage and they want to influence their people and their voters to to encourage it too. And I'm going to say the Republicans are culpable for this because they had the House, they had the Senate, and they had the White House for two years. Why didn't they get anything done when they had the majority? Well, because they're sold out to their cheap labor uh, uh, interest. They want it too. They just don't want to admit it. So what is it going to take to get our country back on the right path? Uh, boy, that's a good one. <laughs> Maybe we could turn back to Jesus, uh, Cynthia. I, uh, th- that would be a start anyway. But uh, uh, absent something like that happening, uh, you know, um, uh, we had such high hopes, uh, some people did, for Donald Trump. I think that's what people have misinterpreted about why so many people voted for him. They talk as if he's the most hated man in the world, but 63 million people voted for him. And as you said, the country's divided down the middle. Do you hate him or do you love him? Uh, but the people who say they love him uh, see him as as a uh, as symbolic of something that they're trying to fight, the voiceless finally having a voice and so forth. Um, unfortunately, his voice sometimes can, can be pretty um, uh, crude, but... Uh, um, you know, I don't know that there's anybody on a white horse out there that can save us. It's going to take uh, changes from the heart, and uh, people are going to have to start looking at the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and so forth again. Uh, unfortunately, we seem to be going in the opposite direction. You're right. And you were one of the original founders of the Constitution Party. What is the biggest challenge facing the Constitution Party at this point? And where are we headed? Uh, well, I'm going to tell you something that uh, when I tell it to you, only you and I and our listeners will know. But uh, last Saturday, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, John and I drove down to Jackson, Mississippi, which is about a 220-mile drive door-to-door and back to attend the funeral of uh, Dr. Curtis Kane, who uh, died at the age of 97. And uh, Dr. Kane <clears throat> worked right up until the last minute, but he also was involved. He he did not do the uh, the day to day gritty work, but um, uh, he he was a pilot. He was a physician pilot, and he flew uh, Howard Phillips, the founder of the party, around from one place to another in his private plane. He did so many things, and and Dr. Kane was part of that uh, initial. Uh, intellectual, we'll call it brain trust, that really founded the party. Uh, although I was a part of it, I don't add myself to that intellectual part, but we had a, um, uh, we had a person from, uh, from Harvard who had been uh, head of student government at Harvard in his undergraduate class. Uh, we had a, a lawyer from the University of California. We had um, uh, Dr. Kane, who was a Tulane Medical School a doctor, a naval officer in World War II, and a very, very bright guy who who knew as much about the Constitution as anybody else in the country, probably. And and then we had a rancher from Nevada who who had built a ranch and a and a, and a great family out there. 
all come together. And uh, somewhere I came in the mix. All those people are dead now, except me. Uh, I'm the last man standing. So <clears throat> that uh, that component of people that were so respected uh, that their leadership was just followed. Uh, I mean, everybody knew it was Howard's party up until the point where he finally got got uh, too sick to to continue and eventually died. And uh, that left a vacuum that was very, very difficult to fill. Um, I mean, when Howard, when this party was first formed, uh, it was formed by people who had actual connections into government, who understood how it worked, who understood how politics worked. Um, Howard had served in the Nixon administration, and uh, Bill Shearer uh, had been in the state legislature out in uh, California. Dan uh, Hansen from Nevada had been active in uh, conservative politics since the 60s, as had most of the other people uh, Dr. Kane certainly had. And um, that connection has been lost. And uh, now, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there just striving uh, for for power and control within a tiny little group of people. But on the positive note, uh, the party does seem to be growing. Uh, contributions seem to be coming in. We're gaining ballot access all the time. I think we have 14 states so far. I believe that number's correct. And and uh, we're continuing to work to get ballot access in more states. So during the uh, during the 2020 election cycle, uh, that will not be an issue as it has been in the past. Those all those things all look good. So. Uh, you know, we keep going as as we. This is not the first time these questions have been asked. Back in the early days, I remember being in a physical meeting, and someone asked the question, "Why why do we keep doing this? And uh, what's our goal?" And uh, I remember Dan said, "Sometimes your goal has to just be survival. Just stay in the fight, keep fighting, and keep the issues out there, keep them alive." and and hope that God blesses your efforts and that eventually you prevail by actually electing someone. So recently, Donald Trump has had a big fight against people on both the left and the right. And uh, Mitt Romney has been recently elected. He's replaced John McCain as being an obstructionist. What do you think is going to happen in the Senate? And can you make a prediction of what you think is going to happen to Trump's last two years as he finishes his first term? Uh, I think uh, uh, as to Mitt Romney, um, yeah, he uh, he's the very reason Trump was elected. Uh, people like him have no conception of what's actually happening out there in the flyover country. Uh, but uh, what I think is going to happen in, in Trump's last uh, next two years, I think a lot of it depends on the economy, on whether uh, he reaches an agreement to resolve some of the trade issues. Uh, if he did, I think you'd see economic growth. I, I personally think the Fed uh, is trying to conspire with Democrats to do him in, although Jerome Powell now says that uh, uh, he's going to be, quote, patient with his uh, uh, interest uh, uh, rate increases because uh, he could see what that was doing to the economy and he could hear all the screaming and so forth about it. Uh, so now he says he, the Fed will be patient with their March uh, rate increase that he announced uh, 
uh, at the end of the year. So we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. They could do him in if the economy uh, booms, uh, like the, the end of uh, the quarter uh, uh, trade, uh, I mean, the job numbers were fantastic. 312,000 uh, new jobs created, uh, record numbers of black people and Hispanics working uh, and off the welfare rolls and so forth. So those are all wonderful numbers, but the, the, you know, the, the, he doesn't get any support from the media as far as reporting it. Uh, you know, if you look at the New York Times every day, like I do, you, you know, I mean, you've seen Tokyo Rose, you've heard her, uh, they're going to conspire to do him in because they hate him. And, uh, symbolically they hate us hate hate us because they hate him. And they hate our country. Can somebody just say it? They hate our country. I would like to encourage everybody as you listen to this show, get your media from different sources. I am submerged in a very left wing part of St. Louis. I get the I read the St. Louis Post-Dispatch as little as I can, but if it's laying there on the table, I can't help the headlines, and it's always disparaging. I went to the YMCA with my mom and dad, and they have TVs on in the workout room, so I'm on this machine called an Octane, and what am I supposed to do for 20 minutes but be bored or watch TV? So I, the TV's on blabbing all this negative stuff about Trump is such a lousy person and the Democrats are using the F word to refer to him with no censorship, no apology, no embarrassment. And I wanted to make a few remarks to my husband who was several machines over. So I had no choice but to say it out loud. I can't believe we have to watch this stuff. And I almost caused a riot in the workout room. But the problem is we have to get our news from different sources. I admonish you as hard as I can. Find another way. Listen to the podcast report. Listen to Homefront. Pick. Be picky. And be very particular about where you get your news. It will help you feel better or it will at least give you truth. So, Daryl, I'm sure you'd agree with me on that. How do people get your podcast? Well, they can go to uh, castlereport.us. Of course, you can get an RS feed. They'll send it out to you automatically every Friday. But it comes out uh, at 2 o'clock Central Time every Friday on castlereport.us. Well, thank you for being with us. Thank you for infusing us with truth. I can confidently say that people who get their analysis from Homefront or the or the Castle Report are going to be well informed on what's really going and I hope we can encourage people. Can you say something to encourage us before we let you go? Well, I sure can, Cynthia. You should have been listening to a podcast on your cell phone instead of watching that disgusting television. But uh, <laughs> I've been uh, I've been uh, doing a series of articles for my family and, and the employees here in my law firm about manners, and uh, I use that uh, that disgusting uh, display that the new uh, Congresswoman from Michigan. Uh, said on the floor of the house the other day, the one you were referring to as part of the, the descent into uh, ill matters and so forth. But we don't have to, uh, we don't have to do it ourselves. We can be better than they are. 
and and um, um, we have to do that. We have to keep going. I I've been um, reading the book of John. I reread the book of John, and I learned some new things from reading it. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, just just have good manners, hang in there, you know, and uh, uh, it's going to be all right, one way or another. It's going to be all right. Well, thank you, Daryl. G- give us one gem from the book of John that we can hang on to today. Well, the book of John was all about John, this uh, this disciple of Jesus, trying to tell us that this man was the son of God and that he came to earth to to uh, to to give life and to give it more abundantly. John said that uh, that uh, the law we got from Moses, grace and truth we get from Jesus. That's that's the purpose of the book of John. The other gospels, uh, John too as well, but the other gospels were about. Uh, Jesus's life. This is what he did while he was on the earth. And there was some of that in the book of John, although he left out a lot of the stories that some of the others told. But he said, there's a lot more I could tell you. And it, it, there wouldn't be enough room in the world to hold all the books that I could tell you about this person. But uh, just, uh, I tell you this stuff so you might believe. So that was the purpose of the book. And it was very inspiring to read it again to me. I was uplifted by it. And I, it caused me to... Uh, to resolve in the new year to be uh, uh, more matterly in my own personal life and and to uh, to remember those words that uh, he said so many years ago. Well, thank you for uplifting us today, Daryl. You've been a true gift and uh, imparting some gems to us. I hope you have a great day, and I hope you come on our show again sometime. Anytime, Cynthia. Just let me know. This has been another edition of Homefront. I'm Cynthia Davis, and I thank you for joining us. We're taking America back one family at a time. I sincerely hope you heard something that left you feeling inspired, motivated, and ready to engage our culture. If you enjoyed our show, you can find more at CynthiaDavis.net. You can also find me on Facebook at Homefront with Cynthia Davis. Have a great week and make sure you come back next time for another edition of Homefront.